Turn with me tonight in the Holy Scriptures to the seventh chapter of the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel 7. We'll read the entire chapter, and it is the entire chapter that is my text for tonight. The Word of God at Daniel 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the earth as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast. A second, like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it, and they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were open. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed, and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, 
They had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him, the truth of this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints, of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times, and the dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve 
and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. There ends our reading of God's word tonight. May the Lord add his blessing to our reading of the Holy Scripture. With this seventh chapter of the prophecy of Daniel, the second of the two main sections of the prophecy begins. The two sections of the prophecy are divided between the first six chapters and the last six chapters. The first six chapters are largely historical narrative, whereas the last six chapters, 7 through 12, are especially visionary and prophetic. The first six chapters record the great conflict of the ages between God's people and the world power and the children of this world. As that conflict took place historically during the lifetime of Daniel. Now we are, so to speak, brought behind the scenes. Now we're given a glimpse behind the conflict between the church and the world. Another, a deeper conflict, the conflict between the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdoms of this world, the powers of darkness. With chapter 7, we are introduced to the world of apocalypse and vision with strange images and beasts, monsters, really. In many respects, the second half of the prophecy is similar to the book of Revelation. And we'll see that tonight in a number of references to the book of Revelation. Although the character of these last six chapters is different than the character of the first six chapters, the great theme of the prophecy of Daniel remains the same the triumph of the kingdom of our God over the kingdoms of this world. That theme is that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men, giving the kingdom of this world to those whom it is his will. That theme of the sovereign rule of our God 
comes out clearly in the vision in Daniel chapter 7. In this chapter, the book of Daniel goes back a ways, goes back to the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Belshazzar, you may recall, was the grandson and the successor of King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king who had conquered and brought Judah into captivity. Chapter 5 recorded his overthrow and the overthrow of the Babylonian kingdom during his reign by Darius the Mede. You will remember, the children will remember, the handwriting on the wall, the handwriting that had been directed to Belshazzar. Daniel's interpretation of that handwriting that Belshazzar and his kingdom had been weighed and found wanting. That very night, Belshazzar was killed and the Babylonian kingdom was replaced by the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. But early in the reign of Belshazzar, Daniel, who had interpreted the dreams of others, himself had a dream. And that's the dream of Daniel chapter 7. I call your attention tonight to the vision of the beasts out of the sea. Let's notice three things together. First of all, the identity of these beasts. Secondly, the bloodthirsty character of these beasts. And then finally, the ultimate destruction of these beasts. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, visions of his head upon his bed, we read. In that vision, Daniel beheld the four winds of heaven striving upon the great sea. The great sea is the Mediterranean Sea. The result of that striving of the four winds was the four great beasts that appeared in Daniel's dream. Four beasts different each from the other. The first beast was like a lion, but had wings of an eagle. As Daniel looked, the eagle's wings were plucked 
And the beast was lifted up from off the earth and made to stand upon its feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to the beast. The second beast was like a bear. As Daniel beheld, that beast like a bear did what bears often do. It raised itself upon its hind legs and could be seen then to have three ribs in his mouth between his teeth. To this beast, the command was issued, Arise, devour much flesh. Beast number three was like a leopard. On its back were four wings, and the beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. Beast number four was especially dreadful and was exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth and claws of brass. With its feet, it devoured and brake in pieces and stamped to powder. The outstanding feature of this fourth beast was that the beast had ten horns. And while Daniel beheld, there came up another horn, a little horn, before whom three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. This little horn had eyes like a man, and it had a mouth that spake great things. Daniel was given the interpretation of this vision by an angel who stood beside him. Verses 16 and 17. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. The four beasts represent four successive kings and their kingdoms. An analysis of Daniel's vision here shows that the four kingdoms are the four kingdoms that were represented earlier in the book of Daniel, represented in Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the great image in Daniel chapter 2. 
the image you will remember, that had a head of gold, breast and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron and feet, part of iron and part of clay. The image was destroyed, you will remember, by that stone, that stone that was cut out of the mountain without human hands. These four kings and their kingdoms are now represented once again in the four beasts of Daniel 7. These four kings and their kingdoms are the last kingdoms of the Old Testament. That is, the last kingdoms of the Old Testament that represented the kingdom of Antichrist, the first beast, the beast lion-like with eagle's wings represents the Babylonian kingdom and especially its great king, Nebuchadnezzar. You will remember that Nebuchadnezzar was humbled on account of his pride and made like a beast of the field. That's represented in the vision of Daniel 7 with the plucking of the eagle's feathers. The second beast, the bear, with those three ribs in its mouth, represents the kingdom of the Medes and of the Persians. The head of that kingdom was especially Darius, the great Medo-Persian king. The third beast, the leopard with its four wings, is a reference to the Greek kingdom, the kingdom of the great Greek king, Alexander the Great. The four heads that Daniel sees undoubtedly refer to the division of Alexander's kingdom among his four generals when Alexander himself died unexpectedly. The fourth beast, the unnamed beast, the beast that stands out from all the others. Not really a beast. It had iron teeth. Its claws were claws of brass. And ten horns. That beast represents Rome and the kingdom of the Caesars. What we must emphasize tonight and what is important for us to understand 
is that the perspective of Daniel's vision in this seventh chapter is not limited to the actual historical kingdoms represented by the four beasts, but that Daniel's perspective is much broader than the four kingdoms. We mustn't limit the prophecy merely to those historical kingdoms that came and then went. That's evident from verse 12. Verse 12 states that the lives of the first three beasts were prolonged for a season and a time. Although their dominion was taken away, their spirit lived on, lived on throughout the rest of human history, lived on until the very end of time. Besides, the reference to and the description of the great judgment of the ancient of days indicates that we must see more in this chapter and more in these beasts than just the historical manifestation of the four kingdoms. The judgment of the ancient of days is the final judgment, the judgment at the end of the world. Daniel's vision carries us to the very end of time. That which is sketched out in Daniel 7, therefore, has a double fulfillment. The first fulfillment is the historical fulfillment in the four kingdoms. But the ultimate fulfillment is the fulfillment at the end of time in the final manifestation of the kingdom of Antichrist. That's what's pictured in Daniel chapter 7. What is represented to us then by the four beasts and especially by that last beast and the little horn that comes up out of the fourth beast is the historical development of Antichrist and the kingdom of Antichrist. That these beasts represent the Antichrist is plain from a comparison of Daniel's vision with the vision of 
the Antichrist that is recorded in Revelation 13. Revelation 13 contains the description of the final Antichrist. It represents him as two distinct beasts. Revelation 13, the first two verses, and I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea again, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy, and the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon, that is Satan himself in the book of Revelation. The dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. The beasts of Daniel chapter 7 are combined into one beast in Daniel 13, but the parts of that one beast are derived from the four beasts of Daniel 7. In this connection, we need to pay special attention to the fourth beast. The chapter itself repeatedly distinguishes this beast from the other three. The fourth beast is unidentifiable, whereas the first three beasts are like real beasts. This fourth beast is like no beast that exists. It isn't compared to any beast that can be found in the creation. No beast has iron teeth or claws of brass. This beast is different. This beast stands out from all the other beasts. This fourth beast with its horns, the ten horns, and that eleventh horn, the little horn that supplants the other horns. That fourth beast is more than Rome. It's quite obvious. It's more than the Roman Empire, and especially that little horn from everything that we're told about that horn and everything we are told in the rest of the chapter, that little horn is Antichrist. That little horn is the final manifestation of Antichrist himself.
This is plain first from the fact that this fourth beast with its little horn is the last beast, the last historical manifestation of Antichrist. And that's Antichrist himself. In the second place, this is plain from what we read in verse 8 and again in verse 20, that this little horn had a mouth, a horn with a mouth, a mouth that spake very great things. That is, very great things about itself. That's exactly what Antichrist speaks. Great things, not about God, but great things about himself. And third, that that represents the Antichrist is plain from what we read about the little horn in verse 25. And he shall speak great things against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. Especially persecution, the wearing out of the saints of the Most High, this is the outstanding characteristic of the Antichrist. And finally, the duration of the rule of the little horn indicates to us that he is Antichrist. The last part of verse 25 they shall be given into his hand until a time and times, two more times, and the dividing of time, three and a half. In Scripture, the totality of human history is seven. The Old Testament, the New Testament, each half of the seven. The time, the times, and the dividing of time, three and a half years, represents the New Testament age. That's the rule of Antichrist. 
a rule that culminates in the final manifestation of the Antichrist. This, by the way, corresponds exactly to the book of Revelation's mention in Revelation 13, verse 5, for instance, of the 42 months that are the reign of Antichrist. As we said, half of seven, three and a half years. And that is 42 months. From the description of these beasts, we learn something of their character. And what we learn especially is that they are bloodthirsty. And especially that last beast, a bloodthirsty beast. There are other things we learn about the character of Antichrist from the vision. We learn in the first place that the Antichrist will be the head of a great kingdom. He will be a political power, a universal political power. He will exercise dominion over the entire earth. Now, Antichrist is going to be more than a political power, but he is going to be a great political power. The Antichrist, as a great political power, is going to manifest his opposition against Christ and the church of Christ. He will not only be a religious entity, that to be sure. He will demand worship for himself. He will proclaim himself to be the Christ, the Savior of mankind but he will be also, and he will be especially a political ruler. That political power is plain from Daniel's vision. That's plain from the fact that these four beasts arise out of the sea. Revelation 17, verse 15, informs us that the turbulent sea represents the nations, the political power of the nations as they strive one with another. The fourth beast has horns. What are horns for? Horns are the power of a beast to exercise its power, the power by which it defeats all other beasts, destroying them. The angel himself, 
who interprets the vision, interprets the beasts and the horns to be, verse 17, four kings that shall arise out of the earth. This political power of the Antichrist will be worldwide. The extent of his kingdom will be over the whole earth. He will control the whole world. That's verse 23. The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth. The whole earth. The extent of his rule over the whole earth will be the goal that so many are pursuing in our day. One world government, one world economy. The Antichrist will exercise dominion over all the nations of the earth and every aspect of the life of the nations of the world shall be under his control. Economics, education, medicine, science, the home, and family. Absolutely everything. He will control buying and selling. He will control commerce and trade. He will possess the power to slay anyone who stands in his way and anyone who resists him or refuses to submit to his rule. Teeth of iron, claws of brass. In the second place, it becomes plain that the Antichrist will be a single individual, a man, a male. The power of the Antichrist will be concentrated in a single human being. That was true of all of the historical manifestations of Antichrist. At the head of every one of those nations was a single individual. And that will be true also of the final Antichrist. Verse 24, And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he, he shall be diverse from the first. The Antichrist 
from Daniel's description in the vision is going to be a man who controls every sphere of earthly life, not the limited sphere of power that God gives to government, but universal power, not only in the sense of all nations, but in the sense of absolutely every sphere of earthly life. The Antichrist will show himself to be a man who claims for himself all power. That is to say, the power of God. That the Antichrist will claim divine power for himself is plain when Daniel adds to his description in verse 25 that he will change, he will set about to change, he will think to change times and laws and seasons. That's power, absolute power, that he will claim for himself. And thirdly, the Antichrist will claim divine power for himself is plain from the fact that out of his mouth proceed great words. Verses 8 and 20. Great words, as we've said, about himself. He will exalt himself in this kingdom and he will demand the worship and praise of absolutely every citizen of this kingdom God is not God he will say I am God those will be the great swelling words that he speaks God's son is not your savior I am your Savior. God's word is not the standard of truth and right. What I say is the standard of truth and of right. You are not to seek God's heavenly and spiritual kingdom, that pie-in-the-sky religion, but you are to seek my kingdom, the kingdom of man. But in the fourth place, he will show himself to be a bloodthirsty beast by his persecution of the people of God. Verse 21, I beheld in the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. 25. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. 
It's especially for that reason that Antichrist is pictured as a beast, not as a kitty or a puppy dog, but a ravenous, bloodthirsty beast, a beast that delights in stalking its prey and in killing its prey. The point is not so much that the powerful rulers of our time and of the end time live for aggression, for conquest by sword and by might, gobbling up other nations and other peoples, that certainly is true. Putin is not unique in that regard. But those aggressive activities, that warfare, that bloodthirstiness, not directed against other nations and other peoples so much, but against the citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we and our children. So severe will this persecution be that the angel says in verse 21 that the beast shall prevail, shall prevail against them. He doesn't, of course, not ultimately, but it will appear so at the very end when on account of his persecution, the church, the remnant, according to the election of grace, will almost, will almost be stamped out entirely. Although the power of the beast is great, and although he is bloodthirsty, his destruction is certain. In spite of his great power, despite the universal power that they, the historical manifestations, and he, the ultimate manifestation, exercise, their and his destruction is certain. This is the comfort for the people of God. Our comfort. That destruction of the beast is described in verses 9 through 14 of the passage. 
We haven't the time to reread it. Also, verses 26 and 27. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Whose kingdom? Not Antichrist's kingdom, but his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey him. His kingdom shall be taken away from him. He will be slain and his body given to the burning flame. Verse 11. His days are numbered. Time, times, and half a time. No more. His days are numbered. Not only will the Antichrist be destroyed and his kingdom taken away from him, but the kingdom shall be given to him who is the Son of Man and to the saints. This is the ultimate explanation for the ruin of the kingdom of Antichrist. God has not given to him the kingdom, but God has given the kingdom to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the saints. The victory of the Lord Jesus Christ was principally at Calvary. His cross, when he spoiled the principalities and the powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. But that victory, principally won at Calvary, shall be realized, ultimately realized, in the judgment of the great last day. What is our calling? In light of this history, what is our calling? In light of the final destruction of Antichrist, the calling is first not to suppose that all these events described in the vision are way off, way down the road. That's not true. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 7 that the mystery of iniquity doth now already work. And John says... In 1 John 2, verse 18, 
not only that Antichrist shall come, but that already now there are many Antichrists in the world. Look around you. Read the times in which we are living. Now are there many Antichrists. What remains only is for the consolidation of all their power and all their arrogance in the final Antichrist. Our calling then is not to be afraid, not to be fearful, not ourselves, not for our children or for our grandchildren. We must remember that the Ancient of Days is on the throne. Not Antichrist, but the Ancient of Days. That's our God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Our calling then is to prepare ourselves, prepare our children, for the persecution that is surely coming, prepare ourselves and our children to stand and to fight. Steadfast in the truth, steadfast in our confession and walk, so that when Antichrist shows himself, we will not be deceived, but we will know, not be deceived, but with uplifted heads, look for our redemption in the coming of our Savior. Amen. Father in heaven, bless thy word unto our hearts as we've considered it tonight. We thank thee that we need not fear, though all about us the signs of the rise to power of the Antichrist are to be seen, not to fear, because we serve the one who is seated on the throne. We serve the one whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom whose power can never be taken away. Amen.